Thank you all. Thank you all for coming. My name is John Hamry. I'm the president here at CSIS, and I said to the foreign minister, the the last time we had a crowd like this was when when Bill Gates was here when, before he gave his money away. Okay, and so this was, it was uh, quite a crowd, and of course this is. Uh, probably the uh, most important, well certainly is the most important thing I'm going to do this week and uh, I'm exceptionally grateful that the foreign minister has come to CSIS as made us part of his visit to Washington. We've had a chance to develop a, a, a very fine working relationship with the foreign minister. I first met him back in uh, 2008 and uh, uh, at the time felt this was an exceptional intellect uh, in a very remarkable position. Uh, what most impressed me was uh, something that sounds so simple, you know, but when he started talking about uh, zero problems with neighbors, you know, isn't that a nice idea, you know? <laughs> Wouldn't that be good if every country kind of thought about that as their strategy, you know? Uh, unfortunately, not all his neighbors have zero problems, you know? I mean, it's, he lives in a very complicated neighborhood and he keeps being drawn in to that neighborhood, uh, partly because of this, this depth of his intellect and his energy to, uh, to make a real difference in the world. And he's making uh, an enormous difference in the world. And so I, uh, you all know that. That's why there are so many people here. So I don't want to take any time away. I have a lovely long speech I was going to give. And of course, that would only irritate you at this stage. And so would it, could I ask you to warmly receive the foreign minister of Turkey, Foreign Minister Davidoglu? Thank you very much, Dr. Hamra, for this excellent introduction. Uh, thanks for this opportunity to meet uh, with this uh, distinguished audience. Uh, since you made reference to our previous meetings, I will make reference to my, some of my previous statements here before. Uh, because I think maybe because of being a uh, student uh, of international relations and teaching for many years, I prefer always process analysis rather than picture analysis. Maybe some of you pre uh, want to listen more uh, my assessment about the existing picture um, focused on Syria, but I will still uh, insist on process analysis from where we are coming, where we are now, and where we are going. Uh, in one of my conferences here, I made a reference to modern history, and I said, after uh, all big wars, there was uh, some sort of uh, a new uh, adjustment of world order through a conference or a new international organizations uh, or a new convention, like after 30s war, we had Westphalian peace, Westphalian order. After Napoleonic Wars, we had Congress of Vienna. After First World War, we had League of Nations. After Second World War, we had United Nations and a system which was very much complicated compared to the previous experiences, economic, political, new institutionalization. At that time, when I came here, I said, Cold War was a long, big war, great war, contained almost half a century. 
But after the Cold War, still, there is no uh, new set of norms reflecting the needs of the post-Cold War situation. There is no Congress like Congress of Vienna. There is no a new international organization. Or even there is no reform of the existing organization, uh, international organizations. There has been many discussions on the reform in the United Nations system, but still, United Nations is functioning like before. The last indication was uh, veto uh, uh, in UN Security Council uh, as if Cold War was continuing. Uh, so we have to make first, we have to see big picture. Uh, today we are facing a huge crisis, economic crisis, global economic crisis, and a political crisis around Turkey. Uh, but we have to understand from where we are coming. Since there was no readjustment of international system, since there was no new set of norms, since there was no reformation of the existing uh, international organizations, I can tell you there were three big earthquakes in the last tw 20 years. Earthquake is a good analogy for Turks. Maybe for Americans who came who, who, from uh, Los Angeles. Maybe I don't know, it was not good analogy for Washington until last year. Last year you had a, so that you can, you can at least understand the psychology of earthquake. Uh, earthquake means the existing natural status quo is shifting. When I say political earthquake or uh, international earthquake, it means international system is changing and the main attitudes of the actors are changing. During Cold War, we could predict all the uh, assumptions, actions, or attitudes of the main actors. But after Cold War, during this transformation, it was difficult to predict. And today, it is very difficult to predict the reactions. Three earthquakes I mentioned. First earthquake was in 1991. Started the previous, the indications of this earthquake came with the fall of Berlin Wall. And in 1991, Soviet Union collapsed. It was a geopolitical earthquake. Indications were changing of geopolitical structure. And the result of this earthquake, emergence of new states and transformation of the states in Eastern Europe, Caucasia and Central Asia. And the basic slogan of this earthquake was freedom and democracy. I am sure all remember the end of history theories, etc. And uh, the, new, the concept of the new world order. Now we can ask, do we have a new world order or disorder? From that time, we, uh, for almost 10 years, we have observed democratic transitions in uh, Eastern Europe. This is important because whenever we, as in Turkey, as not only as a minister of foreign affairs, but as, a, as an intellectual, the main criteria in my decisions, or as country in our decisions, is we want to be on the right, right side of the history. I will come to that point. Today, this is the main difference between the actors, those who are understanding the flow of history, those who are trying to resist the flow of the history. In the first decade after the Cold War, from 1991 until 2001, the earthquake was a geopolitical earthquake, the value was freedom and democracy. 
as Turkey at that time, we were on the winning side of uh, the Cold War. We were supposed to win something because we spent uh, a significant part of our budget to national defense as a member of NATO. But to be frank, when we look at the, those years, Turkey did not win much. We faced many difficulties, many challenges. We had to take new responsibilities in Bosnia, in Kosovo, in many other events. But at the end of, the, of 10 years, just to give one indication, our per capita income in 1990 was, uh, one, uh, was around 2,500. In 2001, it was around 2,800. For spending all the budget to defense throughout Cold War and the increase of the uh, per capita income around $200 or $300 is not much to gain. But the issue was, because of the security risks around Turkey was more security-oriented policy applying country in this earthquake. In 2001, the second earthquake was security earthquake. The concept of security has changed because of 9-11. So before, before, the security was seen as a security among the nations. If you, when you refer to security and defense, means you are defending your country against an aggression of another state or another bloc. But this time, 9-11 showed that there is a vulnerability of security everywhere in the world, even in New York and in Washington. So that changed the concept, the mindset of the international system from freedom to security-oriented approach. The regulations were done, new regulations, domestic regulations, migration regulations from starting from there, coming to all conferences, international conventions after 9-11 after 2001, all operations were more security-oriented operations. Operation in Kosovo was last something, or Bosnia was freedom, more reference to freedom, free liberating Sarajevo, but operation to Afghanistan later was more security needs against terrorism. In this tenure until 2011, and this is the era of our government in Turkey, we acted differently. We didn't want to have a security-oriented policy. We wanted to have freedom and democracy-oriented politics. And what we did, we tried to implement new policies, which one of them uh, was reflect, uh, used uh, by Dr. Hamre. Uh, we, we tried to define new uh, uh, priori priorities of Turkish domestic and foreign policy. Uh, in domestic field, the main concept was democratization, democratization packages, several democratization packages. When there were restrictive regulations being implemented in Europe, in US, in other parts of the world, Turkey in 2002, 2004, 2006 tried to extend democratic uh, uh, area, democratization process. At that time, we declared five principles, new assumptions of Turkish foreign policy. In order to understand our foreign policy today, vis-a-vis -vis Syria and uh, uh, Tunisia, Egypt, we need to uh, refer to this uh, reference. The first principle was the balance between security and freedom. First time, 
in a TV uh, interview, I used this concept, security and freedom, just to, send, to change the mindset of Turkish psyche. Turkey for throughout Cold War and after the Cold War in 1990s thought that the main need of our society is security. Security against Soviet expansion, security against during the tension between Greece and Turkey, or security against PKK terrorism, but all security references. What we said that now there is a new there is a need on, of a new set of norms based on more freedom but equal security because a, again today we are, we uh, have this position why because if you sacrifice security for freedom you will have a cause if you sacrifice freedom for security you have a dictatorial regimes like today Assad's re Assad regime or Mubarak regime before for many decades Arab societies were told that they need to sacrifice from their freedom because there is a security threat of Israel or because of security threat for others. Similar what we were told throughout the Cold War. This winter communism will come. Another winter radical Islam will come. Another day uh, separation will come. Division will come. If you have so many fears, you cannot have a logical analysis. What we said in order to be a legitimate democratic government, there should be a balanced approach between security and freedom. And a, a government is legitimate if he says to his people, to its people, that the, uh, the government will provide maximum freedom without risking security and maximum security without limiting freedom. So this is still our foreign policy. Now, in our region, the regimes are facing this challenge. They all prefer security, and they tell their people, wait for freedom, maybe another time, maybe another spring. Second principle was, as Dr. Hamra mentioned, I was not planning to refer to this, but I want to be well understood here. Zero problems with neighbors, yes. Still, we have this principle. Why? We wanted to change the mindset and set of norms of Turkish foreign policy. Before, we were feeling that we have problematic relations with all neighbors. But in last nine years, during this second earthquake, we have proven that Turkish neighbor relations could be improved. And today, if you go to Turkish people and ask, do you feel any threat from any neighbor? Or how do you see the future of our relations with neighbors? There will be no uh, such a psychological uh, fear like Cold War that Russians are the arch enemy, like uh, afterwards Greeks are our arch enemy, or Iran is our main competitor, or uh, Bulgaria is uh, uh, former Soviet uh, no, today, this concept has achieved a success that Turkish mindset has, has changed. Everybody today agrees that we need to have maximum integration with our neighbors. Yes, we have a problem with Syria, but it is not because of our choice. It is because of their domestic problem. And here is the key 
for us is we want to have zero problems with the people. Therefore, I said process analysis, not picture analysis. If you have a picture today, you may think that Turkey has some problems with Syria. No, we have problem, yes, with Syrian administration, but with Syrian people, Syrian people, and in the future, after a process, I am sure we will be having excellent relations with a new Syria established by the people of Syria, with the free, by the free choice of Syria. In order to avoid the existing crisis, we cannot sacrifice for our future relations with Syria. It was a risk when Prime Minister Erdogan uh, made a major statement from Turkish Grand National Assembly uh, against Mubarak when 1.5 million uh, Egyptian people gathered in Tahrir and asking Mubarak to leave, it, uh, now it is time to leave. It was a big risk to, if, uh, and we were criticized at that time by main opposition, if Mubarak continues, what will you be doing? And it was interesting, a letter was sent to me by my former colleague, dear colleague, expressing, uh, uh, praising Turkish-Egyptian relation and expressing disappointment, or at least very polite disappointment about this statement. I responded next day. I said, we trust Egyptian people because Egyptian people created one of the uh, most impressive civilization of human humanity. Egyptian people know the best for their own. And because of our trust to Egyptian people, Prime Minister Erdogan made this call that Egyptian people should be given chance for their own future. And the history will show who is wrong, who is right. And after one week, Mubarak left. If at that time we were reluctant and we were not sure about our values, and we try to uh, praise or keep uh, good relations with Bin Ali or Mubarak today, Turkish Prime Minister wouldn't be welcomed by around 20,000 Egyptians when he went to Cairo last year, September. Or thousands, ten thousands of people in Libya wouldn't welcome him in four cities waiting hours and hours for his arrival with thousands of Turkish flags. Here, our main reference is values. And zero problems with our neighbors means excellent relations with the maximum integration and excellent relations with the people of our regions. Then we declared other principles like active foreign policy for regional stability, regional reordering re our surrounding region, Balkans, Caucasia, uh, Central Asia, Middle East than active foreign policy fourth principle in UN, etc. So we made an adjustment in foreign policy in domestic politics. And I can say in last nine years, after nine years in power, Turkey is one of the countries which uh, effectively used the new uh, post uh, aftershock of uh, security earthquake in 2001. We were not trapped by security paranoia. We were, we tried to, we, and we were not trapped by crisis. We tried to provide a horizon, a new horizon, a new vision to uh, our region and to the world. 
we became member of UN Security Council. You know how we acted efficiently there. And we have today, even in last three years, we opened uh, 30 new embassies in different parts of the world. In two years only, we opened 22 embassies in Africa, five embassies in Latin America, three new embassies in East Asia. When there, are, there is a huge economic crisis, why we want to make Turkey a country of a center of stability in surrounding regions and a country providing new vision, new horizon for the international relations. Coming to the third earthquake, third earthquake started in 2000. The first shocks started 2009, 2010, but the real earthquake happened in 2011. This earthquake is a economic political earthquake. And in this earthquake, we have an economic, global economic crisis and its reflection to Europe on one hand, and we have a regional political crisis transformation, historic transformation on the other hand. Now, sitting in Ankara, capital of Turkey, every day morning, when we wake up and start to work, usually I do wake up in other countries, but uh, still assume that I am in Ankara, uh, when we turn our uh, eyes to our west, to Europe, from Greece up to Spain, there is a zone of economic crisis. Democratic uh, governments being replaced by technocratic governments in some countries. And there is a, there is a worry about the future of Europe, European Union. And we, as Turkey, we want to be in European Union, and we are following every event in Europe, European economy, for our own future. When we turn our eyes to east and south, from Iran, from Iraq, Syria especially, up to Morocco, there is a political turmoil, political change. And in the middle of these two crisis zones, there is a country having a stable democratic uh, process. We had elections last year. A, one of the fastest growing economy. Last year we were in, in two quarters, we were the first. In the other two quarters, we were the second biggest growing country. And there is a country with a very active foreign policy. When the Arab uprising started in Tunisia, it was a big challenge. It was a big challenge for the region. It was a big challenge for Turkey. The same day when Abu Azizi burned himself as a protest and protests started in Tunisia, we made statements and we had a special cabinet meeting and there we took a strategic decision. Our assessment was that this Tunisian revolt is not a national revolt, is not a revolt of one country. It is a widespread regional revolt because now it is time for change. And we asked, what should be our foreign policy? How should we approach to this process? And we said, we will be supporting the demands of the Arab people, wherever they are. Whatever they demand, it is their right to demand. 
And why? Because we thought this is the flow of history. In one of the, uh, my speech in uh, uh, last year, March, I said, this is the normalization of history. Because 20th century, there were two abnormal structures in the uh, region. One was colonialism, which separated cities, societies from each other, like French and British colonies in Iraq and Syria, or f British colony in Egypt, Italian colony in Libya, French colony in Algeria and Tunisia. So all these countries, societies were separated from each other. The second abnormality was during Cold War, because South Yemen, North Yemen. S North Yemen was pro-West, South Yemen was communist, so countries were divided. Now it is time to have one single regional ownership and awareness. And throughout the Cold War, because of the Israeli-Arab war, wars, and because of the Sovietic type of state uh, governance, there was an absence of link between, legitimacy link between the leaders and the uh, people. And we said, it was a risky decision. It is always. Now, some people are, are surprised as a, as, a, as a former academician how we have to take such critical decisions. Usually academicians are long-thinking, uh, slow-acting people. That's the image of the academicians, or utopic, as they claim to me that my some of our foreign policy is utopic. But you need to if you make an assessment and if you trust your values, you have to make courageous decisions. And the leadership should show these uh, decisions. Yes, Turkish foreign policy took a risk last year. Today it is easy to say, oh, it was normal to say go to Mubarak, or, or it was normal to, be, to say go to Bin Ali. You remember uh, in Tunisia, some democratic Western countries sided with Bin Ali in early days of the revolt. We took risks. Why? Because we have a vision for our region. That vision for our region is new regime, new political systems based on the demands of the people, and a new region fully integrated to each other around the values and through economic interdependence. That was our policy before, when we had good relations with the existing authorities, because at that time there was no war between these authorities and their people. And this is our new policy today. Second principle was, if we are on the side of the people, then how could we, how could we help to this process? And we said, we will use all the means of diplomacy till the end in order to prevent bloodshed, massacres, bloody transition. And every case in, uh, uh, in the Middle East and North Africa are unique in itself. The demands are same. The process is same. But the character of the countries, the existing countries, are different. Egypt is... Uh, Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, they are uh, almost uh, all Muslim, Sunni, Arab people, while in Iraq or Syria, you have much more diversified cosmopolitan societies. 
The army structures are different. Egyptian army has different tradition than Syrian army or Libyan army. Each case is unique, but the demands of the Arab young generation is same and relevant for all. And our, foreign our approach to this transformation, the values are same, but in each case we had different diplomatic methods to help to this process. Today in Syria, what we try to do is unique also compared to Egypt and Libya or Tunisia because of knowing the special characteristics of Syria. First of all, let me say, last month when I went to Tehran, before going there, I gave a, 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 in press conference, I gave a statement that I said, we don't want to have Cold War structures in our region. Cold War tensions, a new Cold War polarization in our region. And last week in Munich, the day when the resolution was vetoed, I repeated the same. We don't want to see new Cold War logic rising regarding to our region. What did I mean? I meant in the region, inside the region, new polarizations such as Shiite Sunni countries as two poles and these countries are making cold war against each other. Or we don't want, we don't want static-oriented countries and revolutionary countries. You know, after Camp David, there was rejectionist camp, accommodationist camp, or this type of separations, no. Or pro-West, anti-West countries. In our region today, there is one and single difference. Those who are trying to keep Cold War structures and those who are trying to understand the flow, the logic of the flow of history and try to respond to the demands of the people accordingly. What do I mean this? Mubarak was pro-West. Assad was pro-Soviet in Cold War and anti-West afterwards. Mubarak was, or Qaddafi was Sunni, Assad is Nusairi, close to Shiite uh, uh, approach, but not Shiite at all. But our attitude against Mubarak, Bin Ali, Qaddafi and Assad is same. And the demands of the young people in Tahrir and the demands today of the people of Humus are same. They don't look at these this is pro-West, this is uh, pro-East, or this is uh, Sunni, this is Shia, uh, this is uh, Nusairi. They have the, the same demands. What people in uh, Tahrir Square, uh, young people, wanted is free and fair election, transparency, accountability. And what people in Humus today want is same. Rule of law, accountability, free and fair election. So it means it is not an issue of Shiite and Sunni or statuko and revolutionary or pro-West, anti-West issue. We have to have one consistent approach. Turkey has a consistent approach. We are against any oppression in our region. We don't want to see autocratic tendencies. 
We don't want any regime seeing the, any country as if it is their own personal property or property of one archaic ideology, but it belongs to the people of that nation. And Turkey, in principle, is against any foreign intervention. We showed this many times. But at the same time, if there is an oppression by an autocratic leader against the people, nobody can expect us or international committee to be, si committee to be silent. Two weeks ago, when I was in Moscow, I was asked a question that Assad was had good relations before, but you have some uh, problems now. How do you uh, evaluate? I said before he was not uh, fighting against his own people. Now he's fighting against his own people. When I went to last time to uh, Damascus last August, I made it very clear to him. I said, Mr. President, if there is any foreign attack against you, we will be siding with you. But if you fight against your own people and force us to decide, either with you or with the people, we will not think even one more minute we will be with the people. We want President Bashar Assad be like a Gorbachev to transform the system, to adapt after the Cold War structures. But he preferred to be like Milosevic. It was his choice. And today, we are siding with the people of Hummus, like we sided with the people of Sarajevo, like we sided with the people of Gaza against Israel or Sarajevo against Milosevic. For us, one of these oppressors is uh, from this religious background, another one is, one is Muslim, the other Jew, uh, Jew, another one is Christian, is not different. Oppression is oppression, and Turkey will be against any oppression in our region. We want to have a new vision for our region, I said. Today, when we look at our region, there are three sub-regions. One is North Africa. If we had this meeting last year, I think many of us wouldn't imagine that in one year there would be free and fair elections in Tunisia, in Morocco, in Egypt. But in one year, we are optimistic and we are hopeful because there were free and fair elections in these three countries. And there is a transitional process going on in Libya. We have many challenges. We should not forget. We should not forget that in the first earthquake, geopolitical earthquake, it started in 1991, but even in 1999, we had Kosovo war. It is a long process. In fact, all this transition should have been achieved in Middle East in 1990s. But unfortunately, at that time, the preference was much more on stability rather than democracy in the, in the region. In this North Africa, now all international organizations, actors, NGOs, all regional powers should be having full solidarity with the new government in Tunisia, which is a success, which is a good coalition of three uh, uh, big parties. The pre Prime Minister is from uh, Nahda, uh, uh, President is from a leftist nationalist uh, party, and a Speaker of the Parliament is a social democrat. This is a good combination. We have to be siding with the new Egyptian Parliament. 
we should not look at the composition of the parliament and think that there was some worries, I know even in Washington, what would be happening to the security of Israel if there is a conservative Muslim Brotherhood government comes to power in Egypt? This should not be the concern. For the Egypt, there is only one authority to decide, Egyptian people. No other concern should lead us or should lead international politics. If there is a democratic government, that democratic government will decide what is good or what is bad for their own people. If that people is not happy with that government, the next day, the next election, they will change, not us. We have to have full solidarity during this process with Libya. And we have to create success stories rather than uh, creating new images, negative images regarding Middle East. The second zone is more Gulf countries, less populated, more income, and they are managing themselves. In Kuwait, there was an election. In Bahrain, despite of several difficulties last year, there, there is a report. At that time also, we, I went to Bahrain to discuss with both sides uh, in order to open a way of dialogue. But at the end of the day, more stable. But the more challenging third, I, I finish, more challenging for the uh, uh, sub-region is the third, which is from Iraq, Syria, Lebanon. Really very challenging uh, neighborhood. And the backbone of this is today Syria. Regarding Syria, last year we had three-stage diplomacy. The first stage was bilateral engagement with the administration. We did it. We worked very hard eight months until September. Unfortunately, we weren't able to convince uh, the administration to stop the violence and to go direct to the reforms. Then we started, after, uh, after September, we started a regional initiative with Arab League. We supported all Arab League plans, Arab League observers. When Arab League came to a point that it is, there is a need of international support, we had the third stage, international stage, and uh, Arab League supported uh, the resolution to UN Security Council, and Turkey supported this resolution. Unfortunately, there was a veto. Now, at this stage, we cannot just wait and see. We have to create a new international awareness regarding the sufferings of Syrian people. Therefore, in these days, we are talking and consulting with all the uh, concerned parties and actors in order to create such an international awareness. So, in short, the economic political earthquake, the aftershocks will continue to come. We cannot be daydreaming. It will be, there will be many challenging risks in front of us. But two things, two references will make us strong. One, the values we are defending. We will continue to defend the same values everywhere in the world. Second, active foreign policy diplomacy, rational and active diplomacy to resolve these issues through peaceful means. If we can achieve this uh, uh, economic, manage this economic and political 
earthquake, economic, political earthquake uh, in an appropriate manner, then a new convention, a new conference, a new restructuring of international organizations will come as the new uh, challenge in front of us because we need now a new global order, a real inclusive global order. Uh, an or a political order based on uh, dialogue, multilateralism, an economic order based on justice, and a cultural order based on inclusiveness and accommodation. All the regional issues should be referred to this new uh, global order. Thank you very much. Probably one of the meatiest uh, presentations I think we've heard in, in quite a while. Thank you, Foreign Thanks. Minister. Uh, I've asked uh, Dr. Uh, Alareza to be the moderator for the questions. We only have about 10 minutes, I'm uh, afraid to say, because he has to get someplace else. Boulet, please. Uh, yes, uh, there's a whole bunch of hands. Uh, let me start right at the end. I saw your hand right uh, at the end, please. Can you identify yourself? Yes, uh, my name is Saeed Arakat uh, from Al-Quds Daily Newspaper, published in East Jerusalem. Sir, I wanted to ask you about the southern part to Syria, about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Do you see any movement in the next 12 months, and what role will Turkey play in that realm? Sorry, since the agenda was more on Syria, I focused there, but whatever happens in our region, could be understood, uh, could not, cannot be understood without re making a reference to Palestine and to Kudus. Uh, now there is a new Middle East emerging. At the core of these, many of these crises uh, was a Palestinian question. Therefore, in this new era, there should be a new initiative. There should be a new approach to the uh, Palestinian-Israel issue. First of all, our first target should be reconciliation of Palestinian groups. In the last few, uh, f five, six months, together with Egypt, we are working very hard to unite Al-Fatih and Hamas, and to have one authority, one and single authority in West Bank and Gaza. Because without having a uh, one authority, even if one side makes a deal, a, a peace, it will be difficult to implement. And I am happy to say that there are some positive developments and uh, as you know, last week there was an agreement signed between Mahmoud Abbas and Khalid Meshal in Doha. Before that, Mahmoud Abbas and Ismail Haniye came to Turkey. We had meetings with Khalid Meshal to encourage them. This is something Good news. And we have to support this nation reconciliation. Without such a nation reconciliation, there cannot be a meaningful uh, peace process. And in this nation reconciliation, the critical term is both sides accepted peaceful resistance. This is a clear indication that Hamas is now adopting a peaceful method of politics. But at the same time, Mahmoud Abbas is accepting a resistance. If a country is, if a people is under occupation for so many decades, it is their right 
to defend themselves, to resist, but in a peaceful manner, and until a peace being achieved. This is good side on Palestinian side. This is a good news on Palestinian side. We expect a good news from Israeli side. Unfortunately, until now, Israel didn't give uh, positive messages, neither to the uh, region nor even to American administration or international community. The settlement activities continuing. The provocative statements regarding Palestine is continuing. And uh, two-state solution is not being defended openly by all members of Israeli government. Now it is time to decide what is the future of Palestine. Nobody can expect this existing status quo to, to continue. Palestinians deserve their state. I have to be very frank here. Russia, Russian veto was wrong regarding Syria. American veto was wrong regarding the recognition of Palestinian state. If a policy is consistent with the human conscience, with the human wisdom, then that politics is sustainable. Today, real global society, wherever you go, if you make a poll whenever, wherever you want, all human beings, humanity, is behind the recognition of Palestinian state. And all human beings, except some dogmatic people, are behind the, the demands of people in Syria. And these are not contradictory. As Turkey, we will support the recognition of Palestinian state, if possible tomorrow, if possible today, this hour, because this nation deserves to have their own state. If there is, if, if there is a need of negotiation for this, then Israel must come to the table without making a prejudgment such as settlements. Enough is enough. The people of our region, including Turkey, we are paying for this because of the prolonging of Palestinian-Israeli crisis. Israelis must decide what do they want. Do they want one state? They are afraid of uh, the demographic rise of Palestinians. They don't want one state. Do they want two states based on 1967 borders, not less? And East Jerusalem is the capital city of Palestine. This is the consensus of this UN Security Council resolution. This is consensus of all of us. Two-state solution, then they must come to the table. Instead of building new settlements in the Palestinian zone, according to the 1967 borders, if they say that there will be no state, then they have to say this openly. So that we will know who want peace, who do not want to have peace. This new regional environment gives a new hope for a Middle Eastern peace process. I hope everybody will understand this new logic of history, flow of the history, and act accordingly for having uh, a two-state solution where Palestinians uh, and Israelis live together side to, uh, with uh, mutual respect, but full independence and sovereignty of Palestinian state. Okay, I think we may have time for only one more question. Can I uh, ask you to uh, um, stand up, please? Um, Hodi is from the Woods. We have a microphone, please. Yes. Well, there it is. Right here. 
I'm Hale Spandiari from the Wilson Center. Mr. Minister, you have had a lot of dealing with the Iranian uh, government. What is your take on the Iranian attitude? How seriously do they take the possibility of a military intervention by Israel, number one? And number two, what kind of incentive will bring them back to the negotiation table with the P5 uh, plus one? And finally, how do they justify, explain their attitudes towards Syria? Thank you. Uh, regarding nuclear issue, uh, as someone who dealt with issue in last almost five, six years, and especially uh, as you know, in 2010, we worked very hard uh, for a deal with Brazil. Uh, I can say, I, I am very uh, sorry, uh, in fact, uh, because of the failure of all these negotiations, because, because I know technical details. Through all these negotiations, I became like a nuclear expert. <laughs> uh, because even for the last day of negotiations before Tehran deal agreement was done, we negotiated non-stop 18 hours around the table, all the details. Last year, we had the last round of talks in Istanbul. And last month, I went to Tehran. I uh, encouraged and called for another round of talk. They said they are accepting. I spoke with Katie Ashton, and uh, she accepted. We are now, in these days, we are working for a time venue for the next round of talk. Knowing all the details, I can tell you, the problem is not a technical problem. The technicalities of nuclear issue could be resolved in a few days. Because the deal is clear. What Iranian wants is right for peaceful nuclear technology. We will tell them, you will have that right, like other nations. But you will comply with NPT and IAEA regulations, and they will check. What we want, and P5 plus 1 one, we, that there, is, uh, there should not be a nuclear military technology. So there should be certain assurances for, of both sides to be given to each other. For Turkey, our position is clear. We don't want to have any nuclear military power, neither in our region nor in the world. But at the same time, we don't want any limitation against uh, regarding the uh, development of peaceful nuclear technology. Technical details are so easy to be solved. The problem is there is no strong political will, and there is, no, there is an absence of mutual trust and confidence. On one side, uh, Jirili is coming, of course, to negotiate.